Please take your Bibles and turn in them to Isaiah, the third chapter. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the honorable man, the counselor and the expert artisan, and the skillful enchanter. And I will make mere lads their princes, and capricious children will rule over them, and the people will be oppressed, each one by another, and each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder, and the inferior against the honorable. When a man lays hold of his brother or his father's house, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our ruler, and these ruins will be under your charge. On that day will he protest, saying, I will not be your healer, for in my house there is neither bread nor drink. You should not appoint me ruler of the people for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord to rebel against his glorious presence the expression of their faces bears witness against them and they display their sin like Sodom They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. And this is the verse I particularly want to consider with you. Verse 10, say to the righteous that it will go well with them, for they will see, they will eat the fruit of their actions. Woe to the wicked, it will go badly with them. For what he deserves will be done to him. O my people, their oppressors are children, and women rule over them. O my people, those who guide you lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. The Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. And with that, we'll stop. Let's pray. Our great and glorious King, we rejoice that we live under your rule. 
For you are not just some externally appointed king, but you are the king who has been appointed by our creator and maker, the Lord God Almighty. That you are the king who is also our priest. That you are a king who is intimately involved with us, who prays for us as our high priest and who has sacrificed for us not bulls and the goats, but your very self. What a blessing it is, Lord Jesus, to have such a king who loves us and who is faithful, whose love is loyal, never failing. We pray, O Lord our God, that we might indeed praise your name, rejoice in you, and be faithful servants and obedient with hearts full of joy and confidence because you rule in heaven and on this earth. It is in your name that we do pray. Ask your blessing upon us as we give our attention to your word. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the word of God referring to funerals is quite applicable in our day. You're familiar with what Paul writes to the Thessalonians? That we do not grieve as those without hope. We watch our country descending to hell, hating God and hating God's word, and we see it. Some of you may have seen the notice, it's on the internet, but it has two panes to it. And the first pane is a quote from the educational experts of about 25 years ago Don't homeschool. Your kids will be weird. The bottom pane is about modern education. Now our children don't know if they're human or animals. They're behaving like cats. They identify as dogs or alligators or snakes. What a mess. Because we've rejected the word of God. But it is the fact that Christ as the king of heaven and of earth is the fundamental basis upon which we can grieve for what we see in our country and around the world and yet grieve with hope because he reigns and will do all his holy will. Our hope, of course, is not in man, but in God. Perhaps you saw this week the statement that some are starting to make. President Trump will save us. He has no power to do so. He's not our savior.
God's moral law is like his law of gravity. It is true, it is real, it defines our existence whether we believe it or not. The young boy may not know the name of Sir Isaac Newton. It doesn't matter. He's 20 feet up in the elm tree and he steps out a little too far on a two-inch limb grasping for another limb above him because he's got to get higher than his brother. That limb breaks and even though he doesn't know Sir Isaac Newton, he's going down. The law of gravity still Controls his life. God's moral law controls the life of individuals and of nations. Even if they're ignorant of it and even if they know it but deny that it's real. It is the reality of life. Isaiah is one of my favorite prophets. probably heard me refer to him before as the gospel according to Isaiah. But if you'll turn back to chapter 1, I think we need to see the context. You know, of course, that the book of Isaiah is divided into two parts. Chapter 40 begins part 2. Unbelieving liberals that teach at Duke University and such schools as that, see such a contrast between the first part of Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, and the last chapters of Isaiah, starting in first chapter 40, that it must be two different Isaiahs. And so there's a Deutero-Isaiah, they conjecture. Chapter 40, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Christ comes. The first half of Isaiah is an indictment. It is, here are your sins. Turn from your sin unto God. Escape His wrath. Looking at chapter 1, you have this indictment. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah is a prophet for a lengthy period of time. From Uzziah, who was a great king, wise, powerful, under Uzziah, the economy was booming in Israel. His armies were victorious around all the borders. He enlarged the land. People were in security because of his military wisdom and might. These were good days in Israel. By the time of Hezekiah, judgment was on its way. You may remember that it is during the kingship of Hezekiah that the Assyrian armies attack and destroy the northern kingdom 
of Samaria. Verse 2. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. Isaiah comes as the prosecuting attorney from God and speaks to the people about their sin, and he delineates their sins. And chapter 1 is a horrific chapter as you read it and see what Isaiah is saying. Look at verse 5. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or damp bandaged, nor softened with oil. Isaiah says to God's people, you're wicked, you're rebelling, and you're so sick, there's no place I can even spank you. You're one big sore from your feet all the way up to your head. Israel's in a desperate situation during Isaiah's ministry. He'll go on to describe it. Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. You can imagine what the Jews thought when their prophet called them rulers of Sodom. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. And I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? God couldn't stand his people coming to him in their wickedness. And their worship was a sham. It is Isaiah who is famous for the words, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The religion of Judah, southern kingdom, during Isaiah's time, 8th century prophet, was a counterfeit, was a sham, a make-believe game of worshiping God. But it wasn't the reality of their heart. And as you read on through Isaiah 1, Isaiah commands the people to repent. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Isaiah preaches repentance, reformation. Precisely what they could not do in their own strength. But they needed to be commanded to repent. So that when they tried and failed, they came to the understanding they don't have the strength in their fallen humanity to do such a thing. Israel didn't think she knew God, needed God. And so Isaiah comes and in chapter 1 says, you're a mess, clean yourself up. And in the, if they tried to do that, they'd find out they cannot do it. And so Isaiah chapter 1 is the message to the people. There is no hope for you in man. There is no hope for you in yourself. You're lost. Hopeless. So the message to Israel was humble yourself. And return to the Lord. In chapter 2 of Isaiah, verse 1 following, though we'll not read all of it, the word which Isaiah the son of Amoz saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, be raised above the hills. And all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say. Chapter 1 is the indictment. Chapter 2 is the presentation of hope. God is going to do something. You can't save yourselves. God will do something. He will save. And you might remember or realize this sounds very familiar to Daniel's vision. Of the mountain is built and the statue is built without hands. Speaking of Christ and the coming of Christ. In the last days. New Testament era. So chapter 2 announces that the only hope for sinful Israel. Is Jesus Christ. So together with chapter 1 there's no hope in man. Hope in God and what God will do. That brings us now to chapter 3. Chapter 3, we're given some detail regarding the national judgment which God has inflicted upon Israel and Jerusalem. I want to look at this with you because... It is very parallel to what's going on in these United States today. I think as we go through this, you'll see the parallels. Verses 1 through 4. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah, from your capital, both supply and support. The whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. Verse 1 tells you that you cannot put your trust in man. God's going to remove 
God's going to show you how useless men are. Men as your rulers, men as your social engineers are going to produce famine and lack of water. It is interesting, probably won't remember these facts real accurately, but there are certain diseases in these United States that are related to the poor quality of water. And somebody has taken the maps of the water supply and those diseases and overlaid them. And you can see how bad water is in these United States. Well, I've been filtering my own water for a long time, have a well, but don't trust what the government does to the water or says about the water. We are literally moving to a period of time where water, healthy water, is becoming scarce. Probably a number of you have Berkey's gravity operated water purifiers. President Biden has declared them illegal. He has banned their sale. And he's done it with some word games because they advertise that they remove pesticides. <gasps> Using a Berkey is prescribing medicine without a license. I'm not making that up. But because it removes fluoride and some other things, you're acting as a medical doctor without a license to remove those things the government wants you to drink. And lack of bread. I won't try to give you the list because I don't want to give you the wrong names. But apparently there's quite a few companies now that are feeding you bugs in their processed food. Now I've known for years because I know a pastor who got in contact with worm growers, earthworm growers. And he was looking for another job he could do on the side. And the point was, they would, he would be a farmer of earthworms in their vats to sell back to hot dog companies. So if you're not careful what hot dogs you're eating, you're eating earthworms with dyes and colors, so you don't know this, artificial flavors. But we are moving by design to the judgment that Isaiah describes to the people. Because you have rejected God, I'm going to remove the supply of water from you, and I'm going to remove the whole supply of bread. We have manufactured, engineered famine being prepared for us. 
Verse 2, the mighty man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the honorable man, the counselor and the expert artisan, and the skillful enchanter, I will make mere lads their princes. Capricious children will rule over them. Men of wisdom, of character, and of strength. Men who would be what we might say natural born leaders. God will remove them from positions of leadership and give us fools. We have it today. Men will become effeminate. Turn over to Isaiah 19 where he speaks of this. Also chapter 3 of course. Nineteen and verse sixteen. In that day the Egyptians will become like women. They will tremble and be in dread because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he is going to wave over them. This was a military empire. It was remembered as a powerful military empire by the Jews, whom it took Moses to get them out of Egypt. And God's going to wave His hand and turn the men of Egypt into women. Feminine soldiers, fearful, who cannot fight well. Our country is starting to learn that a little bit. There's been some legal decisions recently where men cannot compete in the women's sport because they break all the records. You have this feminization of the culture also spoken of in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 50. This is a judgment of God upon a culture. And you all live in a culture today that hates men. Jeremiah 50 verse 35. A sword against the Chaldeans declares the Lord. And against the inhabitants of Babylon. Against her officials and her wise men. A sword against the oracle priests, they will become fools. A sword against the mighty men, they will, become, they will be shattered. A sword against their horses and against their chariots. Against all the foreigners who are in the midst of her, they will become women. A sword against her treasures, they shall be plundered. Drought on her waters. They will be dried up, for it's a land of idols. They are mad over fearsome idols. So one of the judgments of God is the feminization 
of a culture. Nothing at all being wrong with women and being feminine. But it's confusion if men don't know they're not women. And that's what we have today. And what Israel had in the 8th century. Isaiah will go on to describe in verses 5 through 7 that there will be the removal of God's law from the conscience of the people and that that removal, that forgetfulness of God's law will produce death and oppression in the culture. Verse 5 of chapter 3, The people will be oppressed, each one by another, and each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder and the inferior against the honorable. The social order will be totally confused and turned upside down. There will be, we know names today, it will be international socialism. There will be a redistribution of wealth. Both of those are the antithesis of the 8th and 10th commandments. There'll be carbon tax units. There'll be spreading the wealth around. Your neighbor votes to acquire your property, a portion of your estate. The politician says, I'm going to add a tax to everybody over $200,000 income a year. The mass of people will vote for him to steal it from you to make something he wants. With Bill, we have a we have 8,000 people, but we have a $15.7 million recreation and meeting center paid for by you if you buy a hamburger or a worm burger in Withville. In verses 8 through 9, Isaiah describes why God's judgment has come upon the nation. For Jerusalem has stumbled, Judah has fallen, because their speech and their actions are against the Lord, to rebel against His glorious presence. The expression of their faces bears witness against them, and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. And so as Isaiah is describing the judgment, the wickedness of the people and God's judgment upon them, it's in that context he says to the righteous, verse 10, Say to the righteous it will go well with them. For they will eat the fruit of their actions. Woe to the wicked. It will go badly with them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have no reason to be pessimists. Because Jesus is the king and he rules. And he knows how to preserve the righteous in the midst of judgment. You remember the, the letters at the end of the New Testament. Jude and 2 Peter speak of the false prophets and God's judgment. And Peter writes in his letter, in the days of the flood, God preserved Noah 
and his family. With Sodom and Gomorrah, God preserved Lot and his family. Lost his wife because she was nostalgic for the sin of the past and really wanted to go back. So as judgment comes upon this country, God knows how to preserve you. So the judgment is not something we need to fear as long as we are faithful to our king. Isaiah contrasts. That was obvious, I think. Verse 10, say to the righteous, it will go well with them, but to the wicked, it will go badly with them. God will know how to do it, and we need not fear when the king draws his sword and destroys the wicked. God will protect the righteous even in judgment. So what is the exhortation from Isaiah? Don't trust in man. Trust in God. And understand whatever's going on in the culture, whatever God's judgment is upon the culture, it will go well with the righteous. You have no reason to be gloomy, despondent, Or lazy, thinking, well, why should I work? It's going to go to them anyhow. I'm going to lose it. It's going to be taken from me. No. Rejoice in God's preservation of you, even as he destroys his enemies. Our redemption always is in the context of the destruction of our enemies. Israel rejoiced in her redemption, which was the destruction of Egypt. They go hand in hand, redemption and judgment. Against for the righteous and against the wicked. God's judgment is discriminatory. He knows who to judge and who to preserve. And he never is wrong. So our duty is to walk obediently with confidence and hope in the midst of whatever God does in our culture. You know, a lot of views of end times, what's going to come, are not based in the scripture, but are based upon a faulty view of Christ as the king 
and desire to escape the responsibility of living for Christ on this earth. You will be given opportunities increasingly as God's judgment ripens upon our culture to explain why are you hopeful in the midst of all that's going on? And Peter tells you, prepare for that and prepare your answer so you can explain to your neighbor who's a step or two away from a heart attack for fear why you're confident in life because you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know He is King. He is the ruler. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice that You have placed your son at your right hand, that you have granted him the position of power. We thank you, O Lord, that now he sits there and rules as the one who has died for us. Therefore, we can have every confidence that his rule is with great wisdom, infinite power, and with interest in our good and in His glory. We thank You, O God, that we are under the protection of Your Son, our glorious King. We thank You for the prophecy of Isaiah that of the increase of His kingdom there will be no end. Thank you for the hope for which we have every good reason given to us in your word. Help us to believe it. Help us not to be like the Jews of the 8th century who had their sin and their gloom written on their faces. May our confidence and joy in Christ be written on our faces that our neighbors would ask why we're not wringing our hands in despair like everybody else in the country. Give us, O Holy Spirit, words to give an answer to our neighbors concerning our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in His name that we do pray. Amen.